if you want to. We'll jump right on into the message tonight. We've been uh, going through the glorious book of John. Oh, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. I'm learning so much. You know, every time I go to the Word of God and I open it up and I read it and I meditate on it and I pray and I read it and I meditate on it and I pray and I seek and search for the meaning of one little word. And it just fills me up. It teaches me. It... uh, it gives me a better understanding of the God that I serve. And, you know, that's the whole purpose of the Word of God is that we would know God our Creator, that we would know who He is and that we would know what His plan is for our lives. He didn't put us on this ball of dirt and walk off and leave us, but He left us with a plan. He left us with a road map. And so I'm grateful that we serve a God that is not leaving us in the dark, but He's brought us out of the dark into the marvelous light through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle John is selective in his record uh, of the miracles and and the events that happened uh, in the New Testament. In the life of Jesus, we, uh, we have to remember that John revealed to his readers the purpose of his writing or the record of the Gospel of John, uh, his purpose was so that men would know who Jesus is. Now, Jesus performed many other signs, some of which were recorded in in the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's all about uh, believing in Jesus Christ here in the book of John, chapter 12, or, or chapter 20. Look with me, chapter 20, verse 30. Look at this. It's not something I'm making up. It's right here in the scriptures. John says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples. You see, John wasn't trying to give us an exhaustive uh, uh, view of all the things that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. There was no purpose to show all of that as far as John was concerned. What John wanted us to know, look at this. It says here in verse 31, But these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. He wants you to know that He is the Son of God. And He is, John uh, 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 records Jesus stressing this throughout the Gospel of John. Between the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda And the feeding of the 5,000, there were many events that took place which are mentioned, as I said, in the other Gospels. And during this period, the Lord Jesus Christ, he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave the parables of the kingdom of God, the kingdom which was to come. He gave many uh, uh, parables in regards to the kingdom. But John, along with the other Gospels, records the the miraculous feeding of the multitude. You know, we know that he fed the 5,000 plus the women and children that were there out of of, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. A complete impossibility in man's calculation. How many times do you calculate and think you got things calculated right, but God has another way of calculating things. God has another way of taking little and making much out of it. So that's what he did on that day when he worked this miracle feeding the multitudes and knowing the crowd was going to try to take him by force to make him king. 
the Lord Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of him over into a place uh, called Capernaum. Now later, Jesus would catch up to his panicked disciples. They would be out there on the Sea of Galilee, and the sea was raging. The boat was, was, uh, was in, a, in, a, in a great uh, tumultuous way, and the, and the disciples were very, very concerned that the, that the boat may uh, sink. That, to me, folks, is the picture of our life. Oftentimes, things are, things are going pretty smooth. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a storm. Darkness rolls in. The winds blow. And we fear for what's going to happen. We fear of what life is going to bring us. And certainly, as I mentioned earlier, we certainly live in a time when the church seems to be afraid like the world. But the Lord Jesus Christ told us not to be as the world as they, as they have no hope. They act as if they have no hope. You and I have all the hope that we need. It's not a hope-so kind of hope. It's a no-so kind of hope. If you know Jesus Christ, that's all you need right there. He's sufficient to take you over to the shore safely. He certainly is. So, as recorded by John, the disciples received Jesus into the boat. And you know, the, 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 the Scriptures say that the boat was was instantly or the boat was safely on the shore. At that time that Jesus stepped into the boat, another miracle took place. Remaining, uh, the, remaining the, the, the supplementary to the other Gospels, John did not mention the fact that Jesus had also miraculous, miraculously permitted Peter to walk on the water. We missed that completely in the book of John. And he miraculously calmed the raging sea. Actually, the book of John doesn't even tell us that he calmed the raging sea. It says that he stepped into the boat and they were on the shore. But the other gospels do record that. He calmed the troubled waters. So instantaneously, the boat was on the shore. Jesus miraculously uh, had brought them through. And the Lord had brought them into still waters. He had brought them to a place of, of comfort. What a wonderful shepherd that the Lord Jesus Christ is. He left the 90 and 9 and went after the one lost lamb. And he'll still do that today. If you know people who are lost in the world, keep praying. Keep praying for them because the Lord knows where they are. He'll hear their, he'll hear their voice if they only call upon it. That's all they got to do is call upon it. But they have their blinders on. Most of the world has got blinders on. They don't see. They don't see the wonderful shepherd that they could call upon if they only would. If they would only believe. If they would only trust in him. It's worth noting that these miracles that Jesus performed here on the Sea of Galilee, they occurred at night. So that only, the, only Jesus and his close disciples knew what had occurred out there on that water. Jesus knew the motives of the massive crowds. He knew what they were after. He knew they wanted to be fed. They didn't want to be fed spiritual bread, but they wanted to be fed physical bread. Give me something to eat. I want it now. I want what I want now. I'm not worried about later on. I'm not concerned about later on. We want our bread. We want it now. Surely you can do that. Moses did it. And he did it for 40 years while we were out in the wilderness. 
Jesus knew they were grumbling toward him. And Jesus told them, he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Jesus says, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Five times Jesus used the phrase that he came down from heaven. He wanted to make it clear that he wasn't just Jesus that come out of a place called Nazareth, but he was a Jesus who came down. He left his glory and the splendor of heaven, and he came to this troubled world. And this was a claim of deity. And the Jews knew it, and they were angry about it, and they would not accept this magnificent, marvelous, glorious claim. When Jesus called himself the living bread, he wasn't claiming to be exactly like the manna that Moses had given or that God had given to Moses to give uh, to uh, Israel out in the wilderness. But he was claiming to be an even greater manna. He was much, much more than bread. The manna in the wilderness only sustained life for the Jews. But Jesus gives life to the whole world, and it never runs out. It ne- it, it's plentiful, you see. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, and it is. We serve a great, big, magnificent God. The world may not believe it, but it's true just the same. So staying up, True to our verse-by-verse exposition, I want to ask you tonight to stand with me and let's pray as we go into, the, into our text here tonight. We're going to uh, look at John chapter 6, verse 51. Stand with me, if you will. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. For my flesh is true bread, and my blood is true drink. Verse 56 says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Wonderful news. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you for your magnificent, glorious plan that you have for your people who are of faith, your people who have repented and come to you and asked you to cleanse us and make us a right vessel for the kingdom of heaven. Lord, we're thankful for the power that, that you've instilled into your people, Lord, that we can see the darkness of this world and yet we can be light of the world and we can be salt of the earth with your power leading us and directing us and opening our hearts and our minds to, to grow closer and closer to you with each and every passing day, regardless of the circumstances, Lord, we praise you. We praise you, Lord, for, for the gift of life. Oh, what greater gift is there than the gift of eternal, everlasting, never-ending life? What a wonderful, wonderful gift. And we're so thankful, Father. Oh, God, we just praise you for your word. We praise you, Lord, for our church. 
Lord, we praise you for the praying prayer warriors that we have in our church. Lord, we, we praise you for our faithful uh, church members and for our, for our leadership and for our workers, those that are working behind the scenes. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of them. God bless them. Oh, God, may we be a light to this community. And by way of, of the Internet, God, may, may we reach people in all parts of the earth that are lost without hope and undone without God. We pray, God, that we know that your word will never return void. Oh, Father, we praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. But here they are in the city of Capernaum. And Jesus, he continues, he continues to teach the already grumbling Jewish religionist the shocking reality of who he was. Who does this man think he is? Don't we know his parents is Joseph and Mary? He come out of an old little old town called Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? No doubt they talked down to the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt they, they sneered and they mocked and they, and they whispered behind the scenes. Verse 51 here says, I am the living bread. See, Jesus, don't, he, he doesn't make any bones about it. He knew they were getting angry, but he let them have the truth anyway. That's an example for you and for me in these times that we live. Though they want us out of the way, we need to remain faithful. Faithful regardless of the outcome. He says, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You see, eating the living bread here is a figure of speech. It's a metaphor, and it means to believe and to live forever. That's what we receive when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive life abundantly and everlasting to live forever and ever. That's wonderful. The Father gave his Son, but Jesus is giving himself. He's, he's saying, the bread is my flesh. He's saying, the bread is my flesh, which I will give. Salvation, you see. Is by the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God. At this point in time, he hadn't yet given his life. His disciples and the Jews and no one else really understood what in the world he was talking about. It sounded like a gruesome offer. He's offering his blood. He's offering his flesh. What kind of teaching is this? They were totally missing what you and I know today. He was talking spiritually. Remember, John the Baptist exclaimed in John 1, 29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, that is, look upon him. The Lamb of God that takes away, that means to completely remove. He's going to purge this world of all sin. Did you know that? There's coming a day when he's going to purge this old earth. It's going to be cleaned up, and he's going to create a kingdom, a millennial kingdom, 
And he's ultimately going to create a new earth and a new heaven. It won't be tarnished by sin. It won't be tarnished uh, with blood. It won't be uh, cursed with death. It'll be a place of everlasting and everlasting life. By his death, life came, and it comes still to those who will believe. This is a simple message, but it's the truth. Verse 52 says, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, Here it is. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? The first mention by Jesus that he would give men his flesh to eat immediately provoked a violent, a violent controversy as the Jews, they fought among themselves. They didn't know what in the world this man named Jesus was talking about. Eat his flesh. He says he's the bread that came down out of heaven. But we know that he is Joseph and Mary's son. We know that he's a carpenter betrayed. We know that he comes from the despisable little town of Nazareth. Who does this man think that he is? Jesus did nothing to lessen their distress, as I said. But he heightened the, the offense by making another demand. Look at this, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. That is, you're dead men walking as it is. That's powerful to me. Needless to say, the eating of human flesh and the drinking of human blood was unthinkable. It was completely unthinkable to the Jews. The Jews were still living under the law, by the way. The law of Moses expressly forbid the drinking of, of animal blood or the eating of meat with blood in it. It had to be completely drained out of it. And here this man comes to them named Jesus saying... Eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. You see how they could be angry? But Jesus, of course, wasn't speaking of literally drinking the fluid in His veins. That's not what He's talking about. He's not talking about the Last Supper here. He's not talking about the elements that we, that we uh, partake of once a month up here. He's not talking that this is my flesh and this is my blood and it's, and it's a symbol of physical taking of his blood and, and his flesh. But he said, do this in remembrance of me. We do it in remembrance of his shed blood. We do it in remembrance of his sacrifice and his death on the cross of Calvary. But he tells these folks, unless they eat his flesh and unless they drink his blood that they have no life in themselves. But the concept of a crucified Messiah was a major, major stumbling block for the Jews. It was a major stumbling block for the, Israel, uh, for the Israelites. So after the Lord was resurrected from the grave on the road to Emmaus, he rebuked two of his disciples. You remember that? He rebuked them for their hesitation to accept the necessity of his death. Look at this, just for a moment. Look at this. He says in Luke 24, 25, 
Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Let me, let me read that again. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? If we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 3, we'll see that the major thrust of, of, of Paul's evangelistic message to the Jews at Thessalonica involved, let's read it here, Acts 17.3. It says, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer. He had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. That was Paul's major evangelistic message. Remember, John the Baptist, he was down there baptizing in the river of Jordan. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away. He takes away. Don't look at me. He takes away the sins of the world. Jesus makes four promises to those who eat his flesh and drink his blood. Look with me again at verse 53. He says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. You see, the promise here is conditional. He says, unless you eat. I can't eat for you. You can't eat for me. But it says, unless you eat and drink, you have no life. In yourselves. I know of a lot of people that I wish that I could eat for them. I know of people that I wish that I could suffer for them, that they might be saved. But the responsibility is on the individual. So this promise here is conditional. Unless you eat. And drink, you have no life in yourselves. Those who, who will receive his sacrificial death by faith do have life. And that's looking at this verse conversely. If we look at it for what it's saying, since he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. But conversely, the promise is this, that those who will receive his sacrificial death by faith, do have life. Even now, if you're born again, you have life now in Christ. You are in Christ. These are the ones who are guaranteed abundant spiritual life by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says in verse 54, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day. What a marvelous promise. We see two promises in this verse. In fact, we see eternal life and we see resurrection. We have abundant life now that will not end with death. Oh no, you'll never spiritually die. You've been awakened. You've been brought out of death into life. You've been brought out of darkness into life. And as true believers... We now have life that will never end. It will last for all of eternity. Aren't you glad to know that you'll never spiritually die? You're going to live forever. 
And Jesus himself will raise up the dead in Christ. The old bodies are going to be raised up and they're going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, transformed into brand new, immortal bodies. Beautiful, glorious bodies that will never be sick. They'll never age. They'll never get tired. They'll never get weary. They'll never have to be concerned about getting, getting uh, sick or getting uh, some disease. A brand new, glorious body. Immortal. Immortal. That's what it means to come to Christ. It's is to lay down mortality and give up, take up immortality. The Christian's gospel would be meaningless apart from the great hope of resurrection to eternal, everlasting life. You hear many today that's preaching in the prosperity gospel realm. They speak about abundant life as if it's materialistic, as if it's getting all the things you want using God as a genie in a bottle. Expect God. Call on God. Demand God. And God's just supposed to run out and take care of whatever you ask for, according to them. It's not what the Bible says. What's meant by the abundant life is that we're going to have good days and bad days, but we'll never have a day without Him. He said, I come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Everlasting is as abundant as it gets. It's never ending, you see. The world doesn't believe in resurrection today. They've determined in their own reasoning that when a person dies, that is the end of story. Did you know that's very popular nowadays? It's extremely popular. They don't believe in heaven but they must believe in hell because they tell people to go there all the time. How can you not believe in heaven, but you believe in hell? It's foolish. Some may even snicker and say, I'll see you there. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. This foolish talk, isn't it? There's many church attenders today that doubt and they question the reality of resurrection, which is to come. But so did the people here in Corinth. Let's look into Paul's letter that's addressed to those who have been sanctified. I'm glad I'm one of them. They've been sanctified by Christ Jesus at, as Corinth in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been risen. And if Christ has not been risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith 
is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have indeed perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Church, there is indeed a resurrection to come. Some are going to be resurrected to glorification, and some are going to be resurrected to damnation. Some are going to be resurrected to a glorious place, and some are going to be resurrected to the lake of fire that burns forever and everlasting. Let's not lose sight of this reality. This is real. Oh, we can talk about all the dainties, all of the, all of the, all of the fun stuff, all of the, all of the good stuff that the Bible speaks of, but it only relates to the Christian. I hear people that are not Christians quoting Scripture as if it applies to them. It don't apply to them. It has nothing to do with them. They don't know God. Until you know God, the Bible, the Bible doesn't bring you comfort. The Bible brings judgment. Until you know God, it's only bringing judgment upon you. Now, Jesus in, introduces the fourth and final promise by declaring here in John 6, 55. He said, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, Paul gave testimony to the Galatians of the abiding Christ in him. Look at this, Galatians 2.20. Let me turn this off. My battery's going down. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live is in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus, I love this prayer. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he lifted up his eyes towards heaven and he said to the Father in John 17, 22, he said, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Who's them? He's talking about us. The glory which you give me, I have given to them that they may, may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that you may be perfected, or that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me. Can you see Jesus looking toward the Father and praying for you and for me? Looking down through eternity. Christ Church, seeing 2020 and all of the, of the ungodliness that's going on around the world. And He prays for you in your darkness. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. And we will. For you love me before the foundation of the world. 
Do you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you truly believe that, his, that, that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe that it's the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that His Holy Spirit lives and dwells and abides in you? Who is in you, whom you have received as a gift from God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that dwells in you? Is it not astounding that we're all temples? You're a temple. There is no one here that's a nobody. There's no one here that is, that is not fit to be dwelt in. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. It's because He saved you and made you a fit vessel to be abided or dwelling in. God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is powerful, ain't it? It is. It's hard to deliver this. It's so powerful. Listen, look here. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17. We're just, we're, we're just getting warmed up here. He says, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Lord, have mercy. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. And I will be a father to you. God's personal, isn't he? He's personal. He's talking to you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Praise the Lord. Yay. I like that. It is indeed astounding that the Lord would see fit to abide in me. I'm unworthy. God made me a fit vessel. And He's going to keep me. He's promised to keep me. He's promised to keep you. He says He'll not lose one, and I'm going to take Him at His word. God purposed to make known to the Gentiles the glorious wealth of His mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Believers, aren't you thankful for His abiding? Aren't you thankful that He indwells you? Aren't you thankful that you've been united with Him? You're one with Him, inseparable. That's what the book teaches. You think you're doing this by yourself? No, you're not. You may sometimes feel like you're all alone, but you're not. He makes it clear. Now, Jesus declares the source of His authority to make such promises. He says in John 6, 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. See, the world don't understand these words. They hear these words, and it's just gibberish to them. But to God's people, when we break it down, we break it down, we look at it in the Greek, we look at it in the Hebrew, we look at it for, for what He's really saying, it enlightens our heart. It ought, to, it ought to enlighten us and cause us to want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father was the source of Jesus' life. There's life in the Father, and there's life in the Son as well. Jesus lived by and for the Father. His earthly life was to fulfill... The Father's will 
and to do his task. That's the church's job today. Why has he taken up residence in you? That you could walk like Christ. That we could walk like Christ. Preaching the gospel, the full gospel, the whole truth and nothing but the whole truth. Teaching it. I'm glad that we have a church here. It's the Lord's church, but we attend a church. We attend an assembly that is about God's Word. It's not about show. It's not about doing things and just getting together and hanging out. But you're, you're here because you want to know God more. You want a closer walk with Him. You want to live in obedience to Him. You want to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Brianna's talking about doing a, um, a Bible lesson online with kids that she knows. And she's going to start with family, with my help and her mama's help and some other people's help. We're not going to put it all on her. But it was her idea. She came to me and said, Daddy, I've been thinking about uh, and it's and it's like a uh, doing FaceTime, Steve. But you can put many people. Many people can can sign on together. Like hundreds of people can come on together and uh, and learn the Word of God. And, and many of these kids don't go to church, uh, at least on a regular basis. And so, what an opportunity! What a blessing it is to me that the Lord has placed it in her heart a desire to see other young people. Have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, there's all kinds of garbage on the Internet. We know that. But it can be used for good. It can be used for good if, if we'll seize it and, uh, and use it for that purpose. But I'm excited about that. Be in prayer for her and, and, and for those little ones that are going to be, uh, that are anxious actually to, uh, to get started. She's got about five or six right now that, uh, that she's already started letting them know, hey, we're going to do this. And they love to be on the iPads and stuff anyway. So here they're going to get to see her and talk to her. And all the time, mom and dad's going to be on there giving them the Word of God. And we're going to be talking about things that apply and, and applying it to their life. And hopefully make a difference. If it's only one, it's worth it all, isn't it? It truly is. But be praying about that. Maybe it'll go from, from five to 500. Who knows? There's no life, and I know you know this, there's no life apart from Christ. There's no life apart from Him. And we know it as the redeemed. We understand that. We tried it our, our way, and it was awful lonesome. It was pretty miserable. But now we walk in newness of life. Our Lord reiterates this magnificent teaching on this day. He repeats an earlier thought here in verse 58. He says, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as, the fathers, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. The one who pursues material things is certain to die. They're going to die as, as surely as the rebellious Israelites died. So they are today. 
those who are seeking the world and they're seeking the things of the world and they want to put off uh, thinking about eternity. Many will die in their sins, hopeless, eternally separated from God. This is serious business. And it's a, it's a heavy task to stand in this pulpit and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Lord means for you because I'm completely responsible if I get it wrong. I'm held accountable. So it's, it's something that I take very seriously, and I, and I know you do too. You hold me accountable, please. But the Lord said that he who eats the bread which came down out of heaven will live forever. I believe him, don't you? I believe that he is true to his word, each and every promise that he ever made. I believe it's going to come to pass. I believe his coming is nigh at the door. I really do. I was reading over in the book of Isaiah this morning. I came in telling Steve about it, and, and I was touching on, on the message that uh, Brother Adrian Rogers uh, brought us this morning. But if you read over in Isaiah chapter, chapter 3, you'll see a lot of parallels that, uh, that are happening today and what was uh, going to happen then and what's going to happen in the future, uh, uh, the way that, uh, that uh, neighbors would turn against neighbors. Parents and children uh, would be against one another. Young people would, would, uh, would start running, uh, running things, being the leaders. And the world would be in chaos. And it speaks of it being as it was uh, in the city of Gomorrah. Man, are we not there? We're there. And I'm excited, aren't you? I'm excited. So... Church, let's keep on keeping on, but if you get a chance, read uh, Isaiah chapter 3. And read it and read it and read it. And come back and tell me what you think about it. I've got a verse here that I want us to I want us to try to memorize. And I, every Sunday going forward while we're in the book of John, I'm going to remind you of this. Philip, if you can go back to that first verse, brother, uh, John chapter 20 in verse 30. Let's, let's memorize these verses. Therefore, many signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. We know that the things that Jesus did, all the books in the world couldn't hold them. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. By the time we get through with this book, I believe every one of you all will be able to recite those two verses, verses 30 and 31 in chapter 20 in the book of John. Uh, you know, I think it's so important, and it's, this has been on my mind for the, the, the past few months, to memorize Scripture. Oftentimes, uh, in the pulpit, certainly in the pulpit, Scriptures come to me that I didn't even know I knew. I just start, maybe I couldn't tell you exactly where they came from, but I, but I know it says it. You never know when you could be in a place where you don't have your Bible with you, but there's somebody. Maybe you're standing by somebody's bedside that's about to pass away. Maybe you drive up on someone's uh, at the scene of, a, of an accident, and you're the one standing there next to the person that is laying on the side of the road. 
and they're still able to talk, still able to communicate. Oh, wouldn't you like to have some wonderful scriptures? Don't depend on a preacher to be there. He may not be there. It's important that we know scriptures. So I would encourage you to memorize all the scriptures that you can. But everyone, if you would, stand with me tonight. We'll go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll close the service. Yes, sir.